interested. It's about financial while. freedom. They're, they're all talking about Monica Lewinsky. So I was on the I was online looking at the news about two months ago, and I said, you know, I finished this movie before because there right. was so much disinformation. Right. I call it the Shriekometer. The Shriekometer was full blast. I said, I've been here before, and I said, oh. It's Monica Lewinsky, too. Okay. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to look, okay, where's the What's money? What's going on disappearing. Yeah. Now, the Inspector General, we talked about, uh, made their announcement in August. The month before, the largest defense contractor and the largest government contractor in the country spun their IT division out to a new, smaller company. This is been created to spin out another kind of old defense contractors, you know, to do a similar spit out. And I said, oh, no. And tell us the Financial freedom from media entrainment. To run a lot of the information and payment systems at the largest agency in the, in the government and, and across the government, um, you know, that's an amazing thing, especially when you're the largest weapons provider to the government. Yeah. You're paying yourself. So, so for them to spin that off, that's, that tells me they've got enough money now to cut and run. And um, and they're better off getting the liability off their balance sheet now. As, as the government being the liability, uh, here's the thing: if if you are a contractor and you are affecting illegal transactions, or you are a bank depository affecting illegal transactions, I believe you're liable for all the money that went missing. And I happen to have litigated with the Department mm. of Justice just on this point. So, so you have liabilities if you were affecting transactions outside the law. And you certainly have political liability. So if I were running the company, I would certainly want that liability off my yeah. balance sheet. So this yeah. is conjecture because I don't, you know, I don't have privy to why yeah, they yeah. did and what sure. they did. But, but the timing is interesting. The timing One is month interesting. before the announcement. So I started to look through what was going on with Cut and Run in other parts of the economy. So I'll give you an example. I just published something called Unanswered Questions about the Wells Fargo scandal. Now, they created 1.5 million phony accounts and 500,000 phony oh, yeah. credit yes. cards. But you yep. and I both know the big money is in the phony mortgages and the phony auto loans. Mm -hmm. The Fed now has 1.7 trillion of mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet. Are those real mortgages or are those phony mortgages? mortgages yeah. Because phony mortgages will give the system a lot more juice. Right. 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 So, you know, everywhere you turn, there are signs of cut and run. And I was amazed the Wells Fargo thing happened before the election, but I was astonished that not one senator asked the question, what else is associated with these phony accounts? No kidding, and she got a hundred and some million dollar bail, I mean, a uh, golden parachute for that one, didn't she? I don't, you know. Uh, Wait, how many um, fake accounts again? Oh, shit. And I said, oh, no. And tell is, us the implication of what that means. This is a major power position. To run a lot of the information and payment systems at the largest agency in the, in the government and, and across the government, um, you know, that's an amazing thing, especially when you're the largest weapons provider to the government. Yeah. You're paying yourself. So, so for them to spin that off, that's, that tells me they've got enough money now to cut and run. And, um, and they're better off getting the liability off their balance sheet. Now, as, as the government being the liability? Uh, 
here's the thing. If, if you are a contractor and you are affecting illegal transactions or you are a bank depository affecting illegal transactions, I believe you're liable for all the money that went missing. And I happen to have litigated with the Department of Justice just on this point. So, so you have liabilities if you were affecting transactions outside the law. And you certainly have political liability. So if I were running the company, I would certainly want that liability <laughs> off my yeah. balance sheet. So this yeah. is conjecture because I don't, you know, I don't have privy to why yeah, they yeah. did and what sure. they did. But, but the timing is interesting. The timing One is month before the announcement. So I started to look through what was going on with cut and run in other parts of the economy. So I'll give you an example. I just published something called Unanswered Questions about the Wells Fargo scandal. Now, they created 1.5 million phony accounts and 500,000 phony credit cards. But you and I both know the big money is in the phony mortgages and the phony auto loans. Mm -hmm. The Fed now has 1.7 trillion of mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet. Are those real mortgages or are those phony mortgages? mortgages, Because phony mortgages will give the system a lot more juice. Right. 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 So, you know, everywhere you turn, there are signs of cut and run. And I was amazed the Wells Fargo thing happened before the election, but I was astonished that not one senator asked the question, what else is associated with these phony accounts? No kidding, and she got a hundred and some million dollar bail, I mean, uh, with golden parachute for that one, didn't she? I don't, you know, oh, the, 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 clearly the officer was right. doing what she was told. Right. She was clearly doing what she, she was She was given told. a massive bonus to just disappear. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think if we dig down and look into the mortgage securities market, what we'll discover is that despite $27 trillion of bailouts, we didn't clean up the outstanding financial fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably so. Right. So, so here's the question. I've, for 10 years, I've been odd man out in the financial community because I've said, it's not going to collapse. It's going to slow burn. Yeah, and everyone's saying, oh, it's going down in 12. No, it's going down, down it's going to slow burn. Right. And part of that is because of litigating with the federal government. I have extensive experience and knowledge personally of the different techniques they use to keep the economy slow burning along. If you look at the cut and run and then you look at something that's happening that we need to talk about in connection with the Constitution, the push for a balanced budget amendment, um, which I describe as I steal $50 trillion, and then after I've got the money, I say, no, 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 now we balance the budget, and you have to put in enough money to handle the liabilities or we abrogate the contracts. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a, a, what, it's a double frame us, if you will. Um, I think this is, uh, we're coming into what I would call a controlled demolition. They can't keep the slow burn going without overhauling institutions. So what does... What do time frames look like with a controlled demolition? Because you've been giving it some space until now. Right. So, so now the runway is much shorter. And the question is, how is this going to play out? And I have no idea. Nobody seems to. So uh, I, I'm a believer yeah. that we have to get out of the business of predicting the future and get into the business of inventing the future. Yes. Because we have a group of people inventing our future for us. And if you look at what I call the controlled demolition, it does not look pretty. Right. And so I think we need to get back into inventing it ourselves. And the thing I would stress about the economics is if you, if you let, let's just take a simple company being run by a competent person. If you put somebody in charge who's saying one thing and doing another and engaging in criminality, what's going to happen to that company? 
it's not going to do well. Not going to do well. Right. Okay. So there's not a, now. We've kept that going for 50 years by borrowing more and more money. My favorite quote of the year so far is from the German finance minister, who in uh, at the G20 meeting in China in February said, "The debt finance growth model is over. There are no shortcuts that are not real reforms." Right. Okay. So party's over. You know, I'm not saying they can't trickle along, but essentially the party's over. And, and so we're all going to have to change. And the reality is what looks like it's hopeless, if you put the right people in charge and you run it to optimize it, you know, there's plenty of good news in the economy. But, but I used to have a pastor in Washington who say, God does not bless a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to have, you know, this is good old-fashioned you know, simple rules of running things right. And you have to have a system that's based on the law because economies work on faith and trust. Without faith and trust, you can have no economy. We're trying to run an economy globally in force. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have been centralizing the economy. We've been using dirty tricks and, and crime to do it. Um, we've been saying one thing and doing another. And that centralization has made the 1% of 1% very wealthy, but it shrunk the pie, and it's going to keep shrinking the pie unless we change. Okay, so uh, let's let's delve into that. Um, one of the things we talked about off-camera uh, that's really perhaps the greatest obstacle in this, and we'll just get that out so we, we can get past it, and that is the notion of entrainment and what is happening to us psychologically en masse. Right. We, we, one of the things critical tools they've used to keep the slow burn going, I believe, is entrainment technology. Right. Um, I was in Wall Street in 1984, and I heard, I overheard a conversation about it for the first time that I wasn't supposed to hear, and it scared me to death, and I gave up my TV. I haven't had a TV since then. Okay, now wait a minute. Who, who, who are you overhearing? Uh, and what that means? very powerful people on Wall Street. Okay, two very and what was the nature of what they were saying? Basically, they were saying that TV was going to be used to manipulate people's minds without them knowing it. Okay, and okay, this, uh, we're going to go tangential for a minute because uh-huh. we talked about this a couple days ago, prepping. You t- you said, by the way, go and uh, YouTube and watch um, a brawl at a Chuck E. Cheese. Right. And, of course, I immediately was thinking... Um, the film with uh, the Kingsman. Film, Kingsman, Her right. Majesty's Secret Service, yes. Right. Kingsman, which I had everybody watch. I said, I swear to God, they're, they're telling us this technology yes. exists. So give us a link between that in case anyone wants to go and look okay. for the Chuck E. Cheese brawl. So, so, you know, it's all, the, the great thing about Hollywood is they tell us everything. They do, they do. <laughs> so, you know, we, we had a whole series of mind control uh, or, or or TV or TV or movie about mind control. So we had the Manchurian right. Candidate. We had the remake of the Manchurian Candidate. We had Telephone with Charles Bronson. We had uh, what was that wonderful one with Gina Davis um, and Samuel Jack? You know Samuel Jackson is always in these movies. Yeah, I know he does a lot of that. Yeah. But but it was all about mind controlling the individual. It was about TV influencing. Right. You know as propaganda. But Wag uh, the Dog was a good one. Wag the Dog was a great one. Um, but now we see with the Kingsman. Kingsman came out, I think, two years ago, one year ago. I think it was 2014. But it was really a, using cell tower and cell technology, SIM cards. Samuel Jackson plays a billionaire, a Silicon Valley billionaire, and he, he hands out free SIM cards, so low cost. 
and proceeds to use mind control technology through the SIM cards to manipulate people in a variety of ways. Um, two is he, uh, first he uses the, um, the technology to get the crowd to behave in a variety of different ways, including getting 200 people in a Southern church to jump up and kill each kill other each in other. a Sunday service yeah. where they're talking about, well, right. the other thing he does is he yeah. basically chips the world's leaders. So they have microchips right. and if they don't do what they're told, they, ex you know, their head explodes. Right. <laughs> And constantly when their head explodes, if anyone wants to watch it, it's kind of rainbow colored stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it's very, it's, it's a very gruesome movie. Yes, and is. I try and get people to watch it just to understand that this stuff exactly. exists. I have been, my favorite Solaria, or one of my favorite Solaria reports, I have many favorite Solaria reports. We did an interview on entrainment technology because my clients were being manipulated by this stuff. And I literally needed them to understand that it exists. And I think, because if you understand this technology exists and can be used in a conference, can be used in a phone call when somebody's pitching you an investment, um, if you know it exists, then you that is the, your first line of defense. Was this with Adam Trumley? Yes. He had sat me down in front of a big flat screen TV and given me a whole, you know, the scientist's explanation of how this all goes. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes in one ear and all. If it's not money, I don't retain it. I know, I get it, but but anyway, so so but he explained the whole thing and in the in the in the Solaria report he explains the whole thing. Yeah. I had I just had an experience with both having it used in a conference and then having it used with some of my clients and literally having wars to talk them out, you know, I literally had to say there's a hundred percent chance you will lose all your money. And they still want to do it. It's no, it's scary. And, but, and you knew this was happening at the conference. Yes. I okay. Knew, I knew it was happening. Um, you know, because I, interestingly enough, I had just gotten, you know, uh, Adam explained to me how it worked, but I had been researching Enron at the time. And I was convinced from reading the transcripts of how enthusiastic the analysts were right. when they came out of the meeting, you would you would read the transcript and you would see the presentation they'd made and then you would hear their enthusiasm and you would say, This doesn't, doesn't connect. It doesn't connect. Um, these people are resonating very powerfully. You're talking the, frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All so right. my theory was, again, high octane speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, my theory was that it was entrainment, but I walk, you know, it's very interesting. I walked into the room and I could feel it and I thought, oh my God, it's entrainment. So I have to be very disciplined about reacting. I sat down and I was taking notes and at one point I, um, the speech was not a good speech, but it was getting a very positive reaction because of this presentation. I, I focused on getting something down in my notes and as I did that, I stopped thinking, I need to control my mind. I need to control my mind. I suddenly put down my pen and started clapping, turned to the next guy and said, isn't he wonderful? And I thought, no, he's not. What am I saying? You know, so wow. even knowing that it exist, existed, I, you know, it was only, you know, I forgive myself. It was only five or 10 seconds. I've, I've dealt with people and interviewed people who were subjects of that. Right. But to see how it's done so we can be alert to what it, what it might, like you say, you can feel it when you walk in the right. room. So right now I've been working on a cheat sheet for my subscribers. After watching The Kingsman, I was convinced that this was going to be prototyped. Mm -hmm. And I think in some of the riot situations, it's I being so used too. in the yeah. soft revolution, mm -hmm. it's being used. Um, but when I saw the videos of the Chuck E. Cheese brawl, right. 
I'm, I'm absolutely sure. That was crazy. Well, it's been happening all over the country. It's not the only one. Right. And I think they're prototyping. And that was the last thing that convinced me, okay, we're coming into a controlled demolition because if they need this technology next year, it's because, remember, what you're trying to do, whenever, whenever the population feels that they don't want to pay taxes into a system which is corrupt, you know, and they literally feel an obligation to enforce the Constitution and the laws related to financial management, suddenly you get violent things happening, at which point the population says, oh, we need government. Right. And you can literally watch the polls. You know, if here's the line under which you stop paying your taxes, the polls go like this, suddenly you have violence, right. it comes back right, right. up. You know, and to so justify the, defense and everything else. Right, to justify right. your need. If it's yeah. government market. Exactly. And so what what could happen, you know, when the military <laughs> runs out of legs, what's next? Well, what's next is weaponizing the general population. Mm -hmm. So now, here's the thing. If we know, because you know, I believe the choice is coming down to are we going to be a human civilization or an inhuman civilization? Right. The frightening, the thing that frightens me the most is not what's happening to the general population with the technology. What's the thing that frightens me most is you're watching the establishment who's leading the economy and leading the the governmental structures literally forget what reality is. There's a blowback from using this technology. The general population loses sight of reality. Right. And then you lose sight of the fact. You know, the, the establishment loses sight of the reality, too. Right, right. And, and you, you start depending You're on You're all living stuff. in a video game, more right, or less. Right, And so if we're going to move in a positive direction, we need to get our mind back. I couldn't agree more with right. you. So number one for you, turn the TV off because they're using these frequencies in the messaging and embedded into programming. Is that part well, of it? I think this is everything. I think right. it's not just TV. I think it's the smartphones. I right. think it's the internet. I think it's all of it. G5 is about to come out. G5 it's supposed is to have really... just devastating effects. I'm right. going to do an interview on that very soon. But right. what, what have you heard about G5? And what are those potentials with entrainment even with... Well, I think it's it's going to be very powerful because you can literally you can literally persuade people that the virtual world is more attractive than the real world. And and they can literally choose to live within the virtual world. Right. There's a wonderful uh, if you've ever watched what can be done with the hologram technology once 5G rolls out. It's extraordinary and it's right. it's very powerful and it could be used for great use for education for sure. yeah for all these things. But total manipulation and right. enticement. Right. And so um, I don't know what's going to happen, Regina. I think, again, it comes down to human versus inhuman. Can you use these technologies to sell inhuman? Yes. Can you use them to sell human? Yes. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a group of people insist on human. And the question is, can you have a critical mass? You don't need a lot. Right. You don't need a lot. Right. That's the, you know, the sort of the secret ingredient here. Um, uh, you probably may remember this. My favorite story in the Bible is the story of Gideon's army. Gideon comes down the mountain with 300 people with no weapons, you know, just lanterns and pictures, vibration. And the Midianites are so hateful and suspicious of each other, they jump up in the, um, in the valley in the dark and kill each other. And the reality is you cannot 
lead a civilization with this level of perversion. No, you can't. You can't. So it doesn't take a lot, but we need enough people who are pro-human to, to kind of organize. And many of the people in this country have been in the middle of the road, you know, because we, we want to get along. We want to go along. And, and what they're finally beginning to realize is they're going along with something which is essentially psychopathic. Right. <clears throat> and so now we're all having, we're being forced to choose. You know, I, every year for my whole life, just about every four years, I despair that we're going to spend all this time and money on a presidential campaign. And this year I thought, oh, here we go again. And who would have ever predicted that it would end up having really meaningful discussions about really meaningful issues? So getting back <clears throat> a basis for faith again, right. of some kind, doesn't matter what your religion right. or your bent is, but getting back a spiritual basis for life that has ethics and has morality and clear right. thinking and coherence, which you talk about. Coherence. One of my <clears throat> favorite times in the Solera Report is Bill Tiller. Have you? Uh, yes. I, 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 I okay. So him. Bill Tiller, I was doing the pre-interview interview and... I said to him, I was so excited, I said, because I thought he'd be really, uh, you know, he did the research on proving that human intention could change material Absolutely. reality, including at great distances. That, that Lynn McTaggart ultimately just spun right. off on. Right, and very exciting stuff we've had yeah. Lynn McTaggart on. And I think it's essential to understand those things, to understand <laughs> yes. our world. And uh, so I said, oh, Dr. Tiller, I'm very excited about community prayer. What do you think? And he said, well, you have to be very careful. He said, if the people doing the praying are coherent, it helps. If they're incoherent, it makes it worse. Absolutely. <laughs> and there was, I, you know, the bell started ringing. I said, oh, what I need to do is to be more coherent. It's true. And this uh -huh. whole notion of where two or more gather, yes and no. And this is something I was taught in my spiritual guidance decades ago. Uh -huh. was you can get together with people, do your meditations, but it really will have little powerful effect if you're not of single purpose, single mind, right. and coherent. Exactly what right. you told me. Right. So we each have a responsibility to our entire civilization yes. to be coherent in and of ourselves. And that's why when I talk to people about what can we do, it's extremely important that you only do that which you can do from a place of coherence and maintaining coherence. And you have to have a direction and know where right. you want to go. My favorite, when I worked in the federal government, I was cleaning up the HUD scandal. And uh, it was quite messy and organic. And I had a wonderful deputy who used to say, uh, in the destruction of the old, let there be the creation of the new. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that is when you're cleaning up, there's not time to clean up the mess and then start and design a new system. In other words, as this is falling down, you have to pick up the flotsam and the jetsam yes. and start building arcs. Exactly. Know? Right. And so you have to have a very clear picture of where you're going and what your purpose to is. Financial so freedom from media and training of my individual divine purpose is essential yes. for navigating this environment. Catherine uh, Austin Fitz. And, and then as we were talking about a moment ago, um, the entrainment is what really interrupts a lot of this coherence, yes. which is, we'll just tie that for a nanosecond back into that. Right. The goal of the entrainment is to get you to resonate with the machinery that's directing you to the purpose that the machine wants. Right. Okay. So think of it as a harvesting machinery. Right. They're trying to get you to resonate with the machinery that's harvesting you instead of your divine purpose. It's that simple.
So you need to have time for contemplation. Harvesting, like in the Matrix. Tree, Matrix is a documentary. Sit on a rock long enough to say, what, what kind of, what, how would I live in an ideal? If this were an ideal world, how do I want to live? So that's like question number one. How do I want to live? How can I effectively go there? What really matters to me, right? What's in my heart to do? Right. Not what the machinery is trying to exactly. trick me, but what's in my heart to do. And nature is a really good yes. touchstone yes. for being able to find that clarity. Take your shoes off and put your feet on the ground. Yes. <laughs> Get grounded and ask yourself a couple of critical really questions. Fun. During I was litigating with the federal government, and if there is Thank anything you, that will make you incoherent, it's subpoena discovery and litigation, oh, you know, serious litigation. Back. And there were two things that could always bring me back to coherence. One was my cousin's cow pasture is right behind me. So I'd go talk to the cows, and the cows would look at me like, you need to joke. <laughs> and the other was Bach. Bach can always yeah. bring me back to a state of yeah. coherence. Yeah. So yeah. we have to find our means of finding yeah. our coherence. Yeah, exactly. Bach or otherwise. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and, we're, and we're going through what is a pretty long list of amazing tools we have at our disposal. Another one is um, crowdfunding, nourishing your culture. And you told me a little story, I think it was about Joseph Farrell. Uh -huh. I know you, you have a relationship there uh, professionally and what you, his passion is and what you're doing. Yeah. He, we had a magical moment two years ago. He was giving a presentation. We were giving presentations together at a workshop. And Joseph said, you know, Bach wrote for the organ. And he wrote, depending on when you hear him talk about this, on 24 or 36 tracks. Joseph, as a small child, learned how to play the organ. And he said, you know, because the world is very complex. You know, we have echoes. We have natural systems, living systems. You need to think on a 24 to 36 track world to integrate what's going on. He said, but if you listen to music in America, it's become the drumbeat. It's one track. Right. And in a unipolar world where we could force everybody to do what we wanted, we could be overly simplistic. Right. But in a multipolar world, we can't. Mm -hmm. So we all need to think again to learn how to think on a 24 or 36 track. Anyway, so Joseph, every time I talk to him about pipe organs, he just lit up <laughs> joy in his face. So the last time I saw him, I said, I'm going to start a crowdfunding to raise enough money to get you a pipe organ. And he looked at me like I was, you know, I'd lost my, I said, I'm going to do it, watch. And so we have the launch party next Saturday. And I've been learning all about the history of pipe organs and everything else. One of the things I've learned is that the pipe organ is the music of the divine. You know, it was the church. Um, but it's interesting, if you go back and look at all the movies, it's, it's the music of space. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And Interstellar, Hans yeah, yeah. Zimmer yeah. used the organ. Yep. And so we're going to, I have this image of, uh, you know, Joseph as the Phantom of the Opera sitting at the center of our morphogenic field, playing the organ and helping us rebuild our field into 24 to 36 tracks. Love it. So, yeah. okay, so Joseph's thrilled, all right? He's going to have his own pipe organ. He, he went out and bought shoes. He bought his organ master shoes. shoes. <laughs> and it's funny, we haven't launched yet. We're going to have the launch party on Saturday and then launch a week later. But two people already, we've already raised $2,000 and people have said we're so touched that he bought the shoes. shoes. If he can believe, we can believe. So You know, and what's so cool about that is, that, I mean, this is a really fun demonstration of it. But this is something that can be done within communities, within right. families, where you say, look at this.
this kid. The kid's a genius. Let's put some money in and support right. this guy. You know, right. we can do this for anybody. Right, right, right. So I mean, I love the gesture, but I like the larger implications of it. Well, but here's the thing: we need to rebuild the field. Yes. We need to cleanse and we rebuild do. the field. We and do. so, in when, that case, he's helping on a large scale. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he's you know, and he keeps saying, "Well, I don't, I don't know if I can get good again." I said, "Don't worry, you're just." Just stay at home and play and rebuild the field, you yeah. know? Yeah. So he's going to be our phantom of the opera. I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it once he gets good again, right? Um, one of the next questions is you talk about the Popsicle Index, which right. I love. And just go ahead and explain briefly what that is. <laughs> the Popsicle Index came up when I became Assistant Secretary of Housing. For the first month, I was being lobbied by the home builders, the mortgage bankers, the realtors. And I had this growing feeling of in just free-floating anxiety. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I finally realized everybody was lobbying me to make their stock go up, but nobody was lobbying me to make places more wonderful. And what I realized was as we had centralized the economy and run the government for control as opposed to optimization, that what had happened was we created a win-lose relationship between the S&P and the well-being of places, and the, including the environment. So living systems and financial systems had a win-lose relationship. So I thought, well, how can we turn that around? Because in fact, you can create far more financial wealth if you do. And it was interesting. I was subject to dealing with all sorts of activists and lobbyists from the social community who wanted to say, well, you know, let's kill the S&P and let's just make the popsicle index. So I decided I need a simple expression. We, we, we all know what the S&P index means. I need a simple index for the well-being of a place. And the one I came up with is the Popsicle Index, which is the percent of people in a community who believe a child can leave their home, go to the nearest place to buy a Popsicle, and come home alone safely. So let me say it again. It's the percent of people who believe a child can leave their home, go to the nearest place to buy a Popsicle, and come home alone safely. So when I was a little girl, I grew up in a, in a very modest neighborhood in West Philadelphia. And it was unthinkable that I couldn't run up to Spruce Street, play the pins, come back. Right. You know, now, anywhere in America, even in very wealthy neighborhoods, people do not let their children roam because they don't feel it's safe. And what's interesting, what I discovered is that the children's safety is a pretty good indicator of people's general safety, which is a pretty good indicator of the basic trust you need for markets and the economy to work. So I decided, okay, we'll use the Popsicle Index, and um, and my sort of vision for America is getting the Popsicle Index and the S&P Index to be friends. So making the financial system and living systems contiguous to each other and re-engineering how the financial system works so we can all make money healing the environment and helping people be successful. Which well, it is, makes total logical sense, but as you're talking about this, I'm thinking the perception, this is a perception that your child is safe or not safe. It doesn't even have to do with reality. And when you have the kind of messaging that's going out that's be afraid, be very afraid, that whole mechanism works against that ever coming to so pass. So in the early 2000s, we had a war between Alan Greenspan and me. Okay. The Popsicle Index started to get more and more attention. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Alan Greenspan made a big speech about how we need 
indicators which can be certified by academics who of course are financed by bankers <laughs> and part of the idea of the popsicle index was your popsicle index is whatever you feel it is what you're perceiving your reality right. to be and I, yeah. it, it, I don't care what what any academic says mm -hmm. to disagree with you right it's what you feel this right. is about how you feel right okay and and so no ac academic and no you know, no large corporation and no large university financed by a large corporation can come and tell you different. Right. Okay? But the perception, I remember a study done, it was in Sacramento probably a decade ago now, about the perception of safety. They talk, talked about various indexes in the city. Is crime up or down compared to like so many right. years ago? People overwhelmingly thought that those statistics were actually worse than they really were. Because the media had been feeding them with the garbage, be afraid, everything is be right. afraid, be afraid. Their kid probably could go down to the corner and purchase a popsicle and come back, but that's that wasn't their fear, their, their feeling. They were afraid by this time. Where when we were kids, we could easily, nobody had those kinds of fears. You just went Actually, I'm a lot less afraid of a child roaming the streets. Mm -hmm than I am of going into a public school and dealing with the institution or a hospital exactly. and dealing with the institutional violence. Exactly. So, right. so I guess all I'm saying is that entrainment of technology, again, is making people feel as though right. they're unsafe and ruining right. your popsicle index. Right. When, in fact, it probably could come back holistically if people unplugged from a lot of those perceptions. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. So we, we, still, we still have to grapple with an institutional force mm -hmm. To reduce human beings to essentially livestock. Exactly. So exactly. it's back to the inhuman again. Right. Right. But if we can unplug from all of that and go with the, this this agenda you lay out here, we right. can raise the popsicle index Absolutely. once again. It's totally in there's our control. A, there's no reason for poverty that I know of. No. Mm -mm. There's no reason. No. Okay. So another one is um, don't spend time with people and institutions that drain your energy. <laughs> you know, you've got to clean the bad guys out of your life. I mean, it's very simple, and I see it all the time. There's a wonderful book, a new book, on what really happened with the Madoff scandal Oh, called J.P. Madoff. Wonderful website, J.P. Madoff. Helen Chapman, who you should absolutely interview. And um, one of the things that the lawyers who dug in, and Helen Chapman is one of the leading attorneys representing Madoff victims. One of the things she discovered digging into the documents and finding out what was had really happened, she was herself a Madoff victim. She discovered that, in fact, for the entire, from 1990 on, approximately, the Madoff Investment Advisory operation had one bank account. Okay. One bank account. And I said to her, well, who was the securities custodian? She said, none. There was none. So the money went in, and, and they never bought securities. And because there was only one bank, that bank knew. Right. And that bank was J.P. Morgan. Yeah. So they knew. <clears throat> now... According to her, 50% of Americans directly or indirectly have an account at J.P. Morgan. Why? It's very interesting. In 1997, I was sitting in my office, 1997-98, and I was writing a check on J.P. Morgan Faith's um, private wealth account, and I realized I'm banking 
at the bank that's doing all this mortgage fraud. Why am I doing it? Right. That's when I said, I've got to come clean. Right. I've got to get these guys out of my bank account. I've got to get them out of my mind. I've got to get them out of my pocketbook. I've got to get them out. So are you suggesting that people move their assets over to locally owned banks or more uh, credible financial institutions? What, saving what you need to do is make means. sure any custodian you have, whether it's a bank, a brokerage account, is first of all, they're in the business of serving retail customers okay. to you. Yeah. And that they have a track record that is both ethical and competent. Okay. And, and they have a minimum or no conflicts of interest. Okay. Okay. Now, if they're regulated by the federal government, you know, in that is going to be some conflicts of interest, so you can't avoid it. But there are so many wonderful bankers and people in the financial community <coughs> who have um, really been discouraged terribly by the fact that no matter what they do, you know, they have a handicap. They're honest and they're competent. Right. And and the customer keeps supporting the criminal. Right. So the customer's going to have to choose. The, the, the customer has to be educated first, though, as to who these companies are, who the good guys are. Right. But, uh, well, I have up at Solari, we have a, a link called, and you can pick it up easily in a search, how to find a good local bank. Right. That's why I brought it up, because right. I know you have resources. And anyone can do it. Yeah. And if you feel uncomfortable doing it by yourself, get together with a group of friends and yeah. do it. You know, every bank in the world is good. If you call up and say, I have five people and we're looking for a good bank, can we come and talk to you? Yeah. You know, you sure. get coffee, donuts, and a great presentation. Well, that's right. what they do at my little bank in Sacramento. There's that's always right. a bowl of chocolates there, too. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so um, you know, the good guys are there, and the more money switches from the bad guys to the good guys. Absolutely. Right. And that's something we can all do. Right. Um, also, this whole area of coming clean. I um, mean, you call it 23 areas of your life that you could improve. So um, should we delve in? I don't know if we'll have time for all 23, but let's stay with certainly the top 15 if we can get to them. You want to do that? Well, here, I, I would just focus on the financial areas. Okay. But essentially, what, what we what we've got to do is we've got to go through our life and we've got to move out of our life anything that's draining us. You know, I always uh, yes. encourage people, do a time budget and look at the things that are draining you and then figure out, can you move them out of your life? Time, not just the money, but time. Time. Right. Time is your, your it's biggest it's asset. Both, right. Mm -hmm. So I would, uh, we have an article, you can pick it up in a search called Coming Clean, and it walks you through all the different aspects of mm -hmm. your life. One of the things I focus on is, is finance. Mm -hmm. And that is because one of the biggest dreams that is happening to people is, is in their financial life, both their income expenses and their investments. Um, and because the economy is changing, they need to change. Mm -hmm. And they need to not let them just stop. You know, one way you can make the world better is to stop feeding the beast. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so um, there's a whole bunch of steps on the financial system that I would really encourage you to look at. One is get out of debt if you possibly can. Yes. Two, we're in a controlled... You know, whether it's a slow burn accelerating into a controlled demolition, incomes are flat. Right. And real inflation, I know you know Charles U. Smith, yep. real inflation is running at a 7% rate. Right. And so you're getting squeezed. Yes. And there are ways of jumping the curve on that. One of them is going through your balance sheet and looking at where you can invest money 
to permanently lower your expenses. Uh, you gave me an example on right. my phone. I loved it about the, the you're paying too much for water, right? That's right. an example. So, so I had a friend who was complaining that her water bill was going up and the yields on her stocks were going down. I said, this is a no-brainer. Sell your stocks and, and build a well. She was in a rural area where she could. Yeah. So you need to look. We've been disintermediated uh, or intermediated on our balance sheet, and we need to get into our balance sheet and say, okay, where can I do more for myself or where can I do more? Um, you know, I'll see people who are getting no yields. They're trying to stay conservative. They're getting no yields on their fixed income portfolio, and yet all their kids have mortgages right. with high interest rates. Right. And I said, look, this is a, you know, your kids are good kids. Don't do this if they're not. Your kids are good kids. Why not just refinance them right. and keep the interest in the family? Right. Right. I think that's a wonderful idea. One area, speaking of family, I love is you call it family mm -hmm. wealth. It's a mm -hmm. book by Jay Hughes, right? Right. And let's talk about that, how we can help each other as family. Jay Hughes is a very successful lawyer who wrote a book about how wealthy families can stay wealthy. But if you look at the sort of the process that he uh, recommends, it's, it's fabulous for families who want to get wealthy. So, you know, I always end this Larry report by saying, don't ask whether there is a conspiracy. If you're not in one, you need to start one. <laughs> but it's yeah. literally teaching families how to conspire to help themselves, not just make money, but to help each individual in the family be successful and pursue their dreams. I mean, doesn't that really require a, an extraordinary amount of love and altruism? Because every family member is so different. An artist might be harder to justify on paper, but what they contribute to the world offers so much, has so much value. How do you work this? Well, what, what, what Hughes argues, and I agree totally with him, is that each person in a family brings their dreams and their skills. Absolutely. And some make money and some don't, but the family is successful when all are supported. You know, it was really interesting because I used to compete ruthlessly with a very famous investment bank in Washington, and they would always nail me because they gave so much in terms of to the art world and the theater and everything, and they'd always get you there, you know. And it, it was really funny because it worked very effectively for them. But what what... What Hughes is saying is, look, the world is an ecosystem. The family yes. is a mini ecosystem. Build your ecosystem to relate to the world as an ecosystem. And everybody needs to do what their passion is. Absolutely. It's interesting. I When I ran Hamilton Securities in Washington, um, we once did our budget. And I, I said, look, do me a favor. I want to do a time budget and make sure you know, this really works. So we did a time budget. And what we discovered is that we had allocated 700% of our time. And our plane wasn't going to Unwise. work. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's just pretend that instead of doing what you feel we need you to do and what you're obligated to do, you do next year what you really want to do. We completely reallocated it, and suddenly we could get all the work done within the time we really had because everybody was working on what was really in their heart to do. And you stayed profitable. I mean, everything... We say profitable until the Department of Justice came back. Well, yeah, that's another story. That's your big backstory. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, the company that year was very, very profitable. So, and the and the plan worked, and we had real teamwork. But, but family, well, and I would really encourage everybody who wants to work with their family. And if you don't want to work with your family, you know, create a family. Because I'm a great believer that um, in this environment, we're going to have to help. Uh, we're going to have to help each other. Yes. Yeah. 
and and that it, we are so stuck in you know rigid little cubicles when it comes to finance and managing your monies and so forth. We really have to break free of this to be able to be open-minded and hearted enough to well, do this. Well, but in defense of people, you know, it's very hard to find people that you can trust. It is, and that's why I encourage people to start a circle and work with others on what you can trust them to do. Maybe you can't trust each other talking about money, but you can trust each other about going and buying food. I'm always saying to people, look, you know, take turns going down to the terminal market and get big boxes of organic right. food and, you know, share it. So, right. so whether it's reducing your expenses or finding ways of generating revenues or investing, you know, find people that you enjoy being with and work with them on what you can. I've often done circles by phone. We do circles by phone. Mm -hmm. And, and with people all over the country. And we, you know, a lot of it is just, uh, I have one group where we're just following our portfolios and talking about what in the world is going on and what does it mean to our portfolios. Mm -hmm. And every time I get full of myself and think I know what's going on, I get on the phone with them and I'm like, wow, I missed that. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun. So this is that networked economy of yeah. diverse skills. Yeah. We need this, not just family. We need this in communities, among friends. We're, we're leaving the unipolar world. We're going to the multipolar world. It's complicated. It's changing. No one can ever know really what's going on. And so that's why we have to work together. It's made more complicated by um, fraud, identity theft, together. and so forth. And you talk a come little bit about how to protect yourself. So financial fraud is That's... very, very serious. And, you know, for many years, I've said, get the bad guys out of your data, get them out of your portfolio, don't do business with them. Um, and just now, I think it's finally, people are finally beginning to understand, oh, if I do business with these guys, I'm much more susceptible to fraud. But, but you have to take this very seriously. And there are many that we have a great Salir report on identity theft. You know, there are many things you can do. Right. But you have to take it seriously. And part of it is by simply just watching your finances. Well, and as you told me off camera also, um, keep all your records separate from the grid and the system. You do. You use B USB sticks. You can do right. hard copy, whatever you need to do. But make sure you have records of right. what you're doing. You, you need to have very good archiving of your financial records and documentation. If you look at any of the disasters we've experienced in this country, from Katrina to power outages, the people who could come back up fast were the people who had their documents. Right. Right. So, you know, the difference, if you had all your documentation coming out of Katrina, you got your insurance money very fast. If you didn't, right, it was a problem. So we're responsible for that part of our lives. And, and right. go to Solari to find out what they can do in terms of identity fraud. Right. I mean, identity Before theft. Right. Okay, good. Another one is um, contribution. Um, I know you like crowdfunding. You like to contribute. You have your little pet causes where you'll spend $100 a month here and maybe $100 a month here to help build a community or help build a new standard of living. It was really interesting. During the litigation, two things happened to me that really profoundly changed my life. One was all my life I wanted to make money and I've been very successful. And whenever anybody in my close friends or family got in trouble and needed help, I would loan them money. I would give them money. And when the when the litigation hit, I realized that I had given or lent two hundred and fifty thousand. And the Department of Justice was, you know, a process had begun where all of my credit and access. To you income needed was, your money back. <laughs> I needed, well, my family got together and I said, well, I guess they need it. She needs it back. Yeah. And that money, Regina, trickled in over eleven years and saved my life. Without yeah. it, I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I had put it in, in the bank 
if you will. And it was the one source of money that couldn't be cut off. Right. You know, it was family it was, and friends who you had done for. Right. So, so it, it came back and it literally saved my life. The other thing that used to happen was one of the things I discovered was that, um, you know, I, I would be in church and some old church mother would come up and put a quarter in my hand and say, honey, I'm praying for you, mm -hmm. you know, and that little bit of money was, it was like a prayer right. and there was some material real to it just because that quarter was real to her and that dollar right. was real to her. And I started to discover the power of tiny dollars to really change the energy in a situation. It's like a vote. And, um, and so if you come to Solari every week or so, we're doing, you know, it's little donations, but we're saying, you know, we think this person is great. We're trying to support them. And I think that can make an enormous difference. I'm, I'm a tither. I believe in tithing. And, you know, don't worry that it's not a lot of money because it's a prayer and energetically it can make a huge difference. If you see something you love and just send it, you know, if you have a dollar, send a dollar. It's a yes, big difference. It does. And then uh, finally, another area is really going into our hearts. Some people feel, and some people genuinely don't even have an extra dollar to share. Right. Not very many dollars at all because they're living on a subsistence. 13 income, 13 or, 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 you know, social security. That's what I was going right. to say. But we can give of ourselves right. on other levels of right. our heart and mind. And Unitarian Church is a kind of a great it's example. With their prayer imprisonment. One of the things I discovered was... Uh, I wrote a book for uh, first for the clients, and then we put it up called Gifting to the Children We Love. Yeah. I would talk to people in a family, and some people would say, well, we don't have any time. And other people would say, well, we don't have any money. And I realized, well, wait a minute. You know, you have time, you have money. Get together and organize a plan where you put in the money, and you put in the time, and you help these kids. Yeah. And it works. But you have to talk about your money, you know. I, I grew up in a world where we were very comfortable. You don't talk about it, though, in most yeah, families. You don't talk about it. Yeah, have to, we have to start talking about this. Yes. Because um, if if you look, for 500 years, we've been in the central banking warfare model. Right. Now, if we're going to globalize this, the way the central banking warfare model worked is we had a covenant with each other, but we financed our covenant by stealing from everybody else. Right. So now if we're going to globalize, it's going to have to be do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but it's also going to be finance unto others as you would have them finance unto you. Absolutely. We're going to have to get the money. And and as we look at this choice between inhuman and human, the humans, if they want to win, have no other choice but to Abusive get to the money and say, okay, process. how can we re-engineer the money so our team wins and somehow we get to finance heaven on earth. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. Right. Any final thoughts? That was so beautiful. Final thought before we sign off here. I yeah, the one thing I would say is the I think the number one goal of the entrainment machine is to persuade you that it's hopeless. Yes. We have far more power and we're well, far closer Dad. to turning this around than anybody knows. Couldn't agree more. And so I have a concept called turtle, where one of the things I learned in dealing up against the entrainment machine is never quit. In fact, you know, if it looks hopeless. You can always clean your closets, and then the next morning, if your closets are tidy, you'll feel better. And, you get the and, so, and so, don't buy it. Right. Don't buy into the hopelessness. It's not true. We have the power to turn this around. Absolutely. 
It's been an absolute joy being with you once again. It's, it's always, always like such a fast ride. I just love it. And so we'll we'll do this again down the road. And thank you so much for your perspectives and for giving people that kind of hope back. Thank you for everything you do, Regina. I hope this has given you a new sense of the possibilities that are under your own control to implement. Change by choice is powerful. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Gaia. Witness. Right. What do you mean it was given to him as a gift? It just, he woke sure. up one morning and it was there. Okay. It was just what there and it, it wasn't one of Finds healing and in so, the light. Um, he said, I never did anything with it. I'm not a writer. I said, well, I am. And now I know what my next job is. And yeah. we spent 18 months turning what was, you know, just a with draft idea. into what has turned into uh, a novel that worldwide